Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. And you are listening here at Asian Pop Nation with, of course, your EP, Jesse. And today I will be joined by Tracy, Ethan, Zenya, and Lee. You guys just heard Baddie by Cravity, which is a B-side from their EP Masterpiece. And before that, you guys heard Golden Hour by Mark from NCT, which is legit a song about how he cannot make eggs, and I am not kidding. Uh, honestly, I can relate, so making eggs is hard sometimes. But anyway, coming up in our show today, we will firstly be speaking to Sirachi and Waki, who are two artists that will be performing at the upcoming Sirachi Safari event. And for our listeners out there that love a bit of R&B and hip-hop, this event is perfect for y'all. We will also be discussing the new Spuscott Pilgrim anime adaptation that's been announced, whereby Mr. Ethan will be exposing his adoration of Edgar Wright, cough cough, not really, um... And Pixar's upcoming movie, Elemental, will also be getting some attention, as well as the April Fool's video that Duolingo put out. And yes, I am talking about that green bird iconic for threatening you to do your lessons. Have you done your lessons today? Anyway, we will also be covering a lot of firsts over in the Philippines, where Vogue has just recently put the oldest person ever on their cover. And Vanessa Hudgens from High School Musical has recently been named Tourism Ambassador. We are back here at Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard If You See Kate by Vetterborn, who is Cough Cough, also one of the artists that will be playing at the Sorachi Safari event coming up. And before that, you guys heard Enchanted Night, White Night, which is a B-side from their new EP, and it is by Billy. Now, before that, you guys heard En Guard by En Butter, which is, of course, one of the songs given to Boys Planet contestants in the semi-final round. Now, coming up, I have been teasing this Sirachi Safari event for a few times, a few times already. But it is coming up on April 22nd at the Brunswick Nursery, and it'll be featuring an all-Asian lineup. Now, we got to sit down with two of the artists that will be performing at that event recently, and it will, we will be talking to Sirachi and Waki. Hello listeners, you are tuned in here at Asian Pop Nation. This is your EP, Jesse, and I'm joined here today by Ethan. Now, for all the hip-hop and R&B fans out there looking for something different, we have just the event for you. Presented by local NAM rap artist Sirachi and featuring an all-Asian lineup, including Better Born, Waki, Sai, and Fallback. <laughs> Sirachi Safari is being held at Brunswick Nursery on the 22nd of April. Now, we currently have two of these wonderful artists here with us today, namely Sirachi and Waki. Welcome! Thank you, Hi. thank you. Hi, welcome to Asian Pop Nation. Could you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so hi guys, it's Sarachi, but you call me Rachi Baby. So I am a rapper, and I was just saying, like, I had my first ever interview on Cine Radio, so it's great to be back again. Um, But for this event called Sarachi Safari, I won't be performing as a rapper, but I will be making my debut as a DJ. So that's going to be really exciting for me to select sounds. So, Waki, what are you bringing to Sarachi Safari? Um, so, yeah, so I'm Waki. Um, I'm a rapper, R&B uh, singer. Um, and yeah, I'll be bringing my kind of take on R&B. Uh, it comes from a bit of like, it's got a bit of, I'm a Sri Lankan um, ethnically, so it's got that little ethnic background with my music. Um, I try to bring narrative into my stories and stuff. So so yeah, that's what I'll be bringing. That's great to hear. Looking forward to that. <laughs> and you rap. 
Oh, yeah, and I rap, yeah, and I drop some nice bars. Will you be yeah, rapping? Yeah. At the I definitely yeah. will, yeah. So there's, so it's going to have a bit of, uh, I guess, range. It's going to have me singing some, like, melodies and stuff. It's going to have some rapping, so it's going to have a bit of everything. Cool. Have you done live performances before? Is this your first one? Um, so funnily enough, uh, it's my, like, everything started to kick off, I guess, like, live performances-wise this year. It was mm. very random. Just got a, I had my first one in Jan. Then I have my second one in Feb, and now I've got, well, this will be my fourth performance um, in April, so I'm very excited. Um, and yeah, just touching on what uh, Rachi said earlier, how she was, this was her first station, it's my first radio interview today, so so yeah, pretty excited to be here. We are so honoured, oh my god. Um, so Rachi, how did you come about organising this whole thing? Because I think you were the organiser of this yeah. whole event. How did you get in contact with all the artists? It's a lot of work! <laughs> They're turning down my volume as we speak. Nah, it was a lot of work. Um, so it was really cool. I was um, reached out to by Multicultural Arts Victoria. And because I've been rapping for a while. And then my, one of my singles. Um, yeah, I had a release party. It was lit. So they saw it and they reached out to me um, to run this event. So thank you so much to Multicultural Arts Victoria for giving me this opportunity. And because I've been in music for a while, like, Waki, the first show he ever played, like, I was on the same lineup as him. And actually, like, funny story, I met him at my friend's birthday party. Like, I didn't even know he was a rapper. He didn't even know I was a rapper. So it was pretty cool. I was like, you know what? Let me get him on my lineup. Our headliner, Veta Born, I've been a massive fan of her, like, since I've been in music. And, like, we're like, you know, Instagram mutuals. We say hi in that. So I reached out to her. And Fall Back and Sigh, like, they're just people that, I, like, I looked into. I listened to their music. I listened to DJ Fallback's mixes and I was like, you know what, well, I really like the quality and I'd really love to have you on the lineup. Wow. Was the process long? How did that go? Girl, <laughs> the process <laughs> is still going. <laughs> It's still going. Yeah, because I started this thing with Multicultural Arts Victoria since last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, and it's only happening, like, now. Not even now. In oh, okay. In 22nd like... of April, 8pm so... to 1am at Brunswick Nursery. <laughs> nice plug. Yeah, so I've been thinking about it for a while. you got to look for the venue. What does the venue have? And what is it missing? You have to source everything. you got to budget, bro. Everything is so expensive in this economy. <laughs> It's terrible. So how did you pick um, Brunswick Nursery as your venue this time around? Right, so I was looking. I had two initial other options. There was this really cool Vietnamese restaurant, but they made bank, so I could not afford <laughs> to get the Vietnamese restaurant because they make so much money on a Saturday night. And then the other option was some other random studio. But then the guy who I'm working with on this event from Multicultural Arts Victoria, he just was like, oh, I've got this amazing place because I told him about the vision of Sirachi Safari, Welcome to the Jungle, and it's a plant nursery. So I'm really excited. The ambience is going to be crazy, like surrounded in plants. Oh, that sounds awesome. So Sirachi Safari is going to be a complete all-Asian lineup. What made you decide to do that? And what do you think about Asian representation in like the music industry um, globally and also locally in Australia? Yeah, representation is such a funny conversation to me because it's like, it's not something that you set out to do. You just like, oh, okay, I happen to be Vietnamese. I happen to be Asian. And the way that the industry is like currently set out, like you, you don't really set out to be representation. You just are, right? And I've received so many messages since I've been doing what I've been doing from like young Asian girls or like not even just girls, but just like people who are really proud to see me. And it was just like, damn, 
I had like this opportunity, like I can totally put other people on. And I, I don't know, it just came to me like that. It's pretty surreal for me that I'm able to have this opportunity to put people on like so early on in my career. I didn't think it would come this early. Yeah. Waki, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, First of all, shout out to Rachi because yeah, she's definitely put me on, you know, giving me a great opportunity. Like, yeah, it was just, I guess, like just meant to be. Um, But yeah, very grateful. So just want to put that out there. Um, in terms of representation, yeah, I think she definitely touched on something very, like, important. Like I said earlier, like, I've got a Sri Lankan background and, like, when, when I released my early music, I would kind of remix, like, Sri Lankan songs and then try to make it, like, R&B, like, Western. And, like, a lot of my mates, like, reached out and even people that I didn't know, which is, I guess, in a way, even, like, more fulfilling. And they're like, mm-hmm. hey, like, you know, this is, like, really nice. You're, like, you're really picking a niche, you know. Like, there's no one really to put our sound out there. And it's kind of nice to know that, like, you're fulfilling a niche, you know, like, you're really hitting a niche and, and it's really making people happy so so yeah it's it's definitely something that i think um especially with like asian culture you don't really see much in hip-hop and r&b as well but i think it's slowly starting to see more and more representation so it's nice to see we love to see it because what you're doing is like you're connecting with your community and that's such a great feeling yeah how did you guys get into music actually i had that question but Mm. oh for me oh my god wait waki you answer first (laughs) um so yeah so for me like i was always like i used to sing and stuff like back in like school but it was never like I used to do like little covers on like YouTube when I was like twelve, and um, it's, it's since been taken. No, it's since been taken down, deleted, like purged off the internet. Um, yeah, like I did like little Instagram covers and stuff as well. Like as I got older, but once COVID hit, it was like kind of an opportunity for me to just actually like sit down. I was like, oh, like yo, like I actually like you know, like like it's nice to listen to music, but I want to see if I can like actually write myself or like try to come up with something. And like you know, I would like do like little freestyles and stuff like my friends and stuff. So when it came to actually like sitting down and writing, I think I had like a natural kind of talent for the pen and you know i had the resources like two of my like really good mates they make beats as well and they would like send me stuff so it was like very easy i guess in that um aspect and then once it was like covid there wasn't really much for me to do i was at uni so i was just studying and then this was kind of my escape from like the mundane you know just like staying at home and just studying so yes it was i guess it started off as an escape and it's still an escape and i think it'll always be an escape so Mm. uh what about you rachi yeah back to me actually my story is really similar i started what did I start doing? I think I I would write my own like rap freestyles or rap verses over like other beats. So like for example, my first ever song I wrote it initially as a remix to Nicki Minaj's Chun Li because I thought it was a bit like sketch. Like I thought it was a bit sus, you know, like cultural appropriation wise. And then that ended up becoming my first ever single called Sayonara because I had a friend who made beats. And then that song came out, and then I started performing. And then COVID, life sucks, but music didn't. And I was like, wait a minute, what is this, you know, correlation? Uh, it's hard because you, like, for me to recall because it's just, like, been such a crazy journey so far. But, yeah, similar. Oh, I have a question. As to your writing process, what are your inspirations? Like, where do you draw inspiration from? Like, from other artists or, like, from your life? Mm. Well, I would say for me, I started out writing as purely as an emotional outlet. Like, everything was really emotional and all about the feels and all that because it was my only way to, like, get things off my chest. Um, Things are different now because, like, I guess I'm more serious about music. Like, I'm less concerned about being, like, real serious. Like, sometimes I just write about fun stuff. Sometimes people piss me off. I want to say something. Yeah, I don't know. It's a mix between things that happen to me and things that happen to other people and what sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah, I think definitely, like, very similar to her. Um, Yeah, for me, the writing comes from 
my experiences. Um, some of the stuff is just stuff that like, I guess has happened to my friends or something that I've just seen or like sometimes like while like the beat just clicks, like I, I play a random beat and then while I'm writing or like while I'm listening to it, there's a story that kind of comes into my head from like what the music sounds like and then I just kind of write it that. But yeah, I think there's always like inspiration everywhere around us. So it's just a, like a matter of, you know, like sometimes I listen to like, I don't know, like Janae Aiko or something. And then while I'm listening to that, I'll be like, damn, like what a great concept. Like just one line that she had and I'll try to expand on that or like have my own take on that. So yeah, it's like, I guess that's where my writing I, comes from. Well, I guess the writing process is very intimate for you guys. So since you guys have started performing more recently as well, is that kind of scary for you guys to not only put your work out there, but kind of like actually perform it in front of a crowd? Um, Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Um, it's like very vulnerable, I guess. Like you feel very vulnerable because it's something that you've spent so much time like behind the scenes, like writing, you know, figuring out the rhyme scheme or like, you know, taking little words out and like really like honing it so it sounds perfect when you were to perform it and yeah like initially I was like super worried like especially on my first performance I was like oh what if people you know like what if I don't perform it as well but then like it was kind of crazy because like the people that were like there like they were singing the words back to me and it was crazy for me to like even have that feeling you know it's such a it's such an unexplainable like humbling feeling to know that there's people out there that have spent that much time listening to you the songs that you've been writing that they like sometimes know the words better than you do you know what I mean so the energy when like they come back and they're like spitting the words back to you is like ridiculous so i actually saw your tiktok about that i've been doing a bit of a stalking. <laughs> <laughs> this is also from stalking your tiktoks but um one of your best performing tracks i believe it was keep keeping on love or keeping with, uh, tripping on tripping love. on love i think you mentioned in one of your tiktoks that it was taken from one of the experiences of your friend yeah if- exactly yeah so one of my mates got cheated on um which is not <laughs> fun but i mean it is what it is because it was a banger you know i turned that I turned break a cheat on and you made a song about exactly, it for everyone in here <laughs> exactly and yeah so like you know props to him sad ones for him but um <laughs> but yeah you know like the song's doing well and like people seem to love it so that's the song that's actually going to be playing today as well so yeah good vibes awesome that's so oh. stay tuned i'd like to add like i was um when I, like I was saying, I was on the same lineup as Waki. Like I was headlining when Waki had his first ever performance, and the energy was crazy. Like you guys have to come and see him perform. Like you don't you don't even understand until you come see it at Sarachi Safari. Okay. <laughs> so Waki, you mentioned your first performance. Uh, I kind of want to hear more about that. I'm a bit curious. What happened? Where was it at? How did you feel going into it? Yeah, so um, the first performance that I had, it was called Rap City. It was at Laundry. Um, the guy that was running the event, I guess, on the night kind of just reached out and he's like, hey, um, which is super random. Like, leading into this year, like, I was kind of almost done with music, I guess, last year. Like, I think, like, it got to a point where, like, I hadn't, up until last year, I hadn't released a song in, like, I released a few songs in 2021 uh, and then last year I released, like, literally one song and then it was just on Triple J. Um, and then yeah like sometime towards the end of last year I just got a random email in my I guess inbox and the guy was like hey like I listen to your music um I'm thinking of running this event would you be down and I was like hell yeah like I'm so down um and so went ahead with it um and pretty much yeah it turns out he had just come across my song from Triple J like on on the unearth thing and um and yeah he wanted to have me on so had me on and like there was yeah like the support was crazy like a lot of my mates like people that I didn't even know that well, you know, there was heaps of people there. It was a small, intimate crowd, but to me, like, the love was crazy, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it's it's really hard to, like, put it into words, um, but the energy was crazy. Like, it was, it's nice to know that people are, are 
that into your music or into you as a person that they're willing to you know come out and show love like that yeah i don't like it was there was like four people i guess on the lineup sarachi actually headlined that performance as well so that was the the first time that i got to see her perform so it was like me performing and then straight after me it was her so like literally everyone that came to see me perform stayed back and they and like they loved so like they were vibing out they were dancing at like you know all the music that sarachi was playing like yeah like my music's a bit more like mellow i guess um Whereas like her music's like hype. So like, I think my music, like the vibe was like, I guess like a bit slower. And then when she came, it was like exponential. Like it was like a rocket ship. So yeah, it was a really great night and um, yeah, good fun. I guess going back to the event that we're, yeah, that Sarashi will be hosting later. Um, it's a pretty big event for like the Asian hip hop community in Australia and especially in Victoria as well. How do you guys feel about like, I suppose like pioneering the way for that, um, especially with this event. Are you guys excited for that? How, how mm. does that feel? If no one else is going to do it, I got to do it. <laughs> That's just how I feel. Like, I guess, you know, the universe, if it gives you an opportunity, like, you just have to listen. That's it. And how did you get into DJing, if you don't mind me asking, for the f- the event especially? Mm, well, another thing. If no one's going to book me, I'll create my own event and I'll book myself. Because, <laughs> like, so I've been mostly rapping, making music, like, as a vocalist, I guess. DJing, I'm quite new to it, but I've just... Every every birthday party, every event, my friends like, please, please select the songs, do you know, do it on the Spotify, and I guess it's just from there. I was like, oh, I should just DJ too. That would be fun. Like another way to have fun, perform, but I sweat a lot less. Yeah, less of a cardio workout. Yeah, it's crazy because the first time that I met Sarachi at like a mate's birthday, <laughs> she was actually DJing. So I had no clue that she was even like a rapper or anything. She was DJing and I was like, what is this? Like she was playing track after track after track. And I remember going up to her and I was like, yo, this is a banger. And then it was only like a week or two weeks later that she's like, hey, we're actually like, you know, it turns out that we're on the same track list. So yeah, yeah so it was crazy. It was very, it was a very weird experience. It is, the universe. Did you only find out that she was a rapper when you found Yeah, when I saw her, wow. like, I, I saw her on the thing and I was like, like I sent it to my girlfriend. I was like, hey, is this the girl that DJ? And she's like, yes, like, yes, <laughs> that is the girl. And I was like, what? The, like, what are the odds? You know what I mean? Because like, if, if I hadn't gone to that party or, or whatever, I wouldn't have met her like a few weeks prior and then I wouldn't have known who she was going into the show. Like, it was just the way that it worked out was just, it was like a... It's like a warm, like a warm transfer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's what it felt like. It was crazy. <laughs> Is that how people normally, um, like, network, I suppose, in your kind of industry? Do you guys, like, normally see each other at parties? Or, like, do you guys just check out each other's set lists? How does that normally work? Um, gosh, I don't think there is any normal. There's no normal. The thing, like, the party we both went to, it was nothing to do with music. It's just our, like, our good friend. But I would say, yeah. There's no normal. I get, like, booked from people who I, I don't even know all the time. Me, personally, I've actually never been booked by someone that I personally know. I've only been booked by people who just reach out to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't really have much to add to that, I guess. Like, for me, like, I'm pretty new to the music scene. And, like, I'm pretty low-key when it comes to, like, music and stuff. The the Israel, I guess, like, and, like, the Waki and the Israel are, like, two different people, if that makes sense. Like, me as an individual, I'm not really into all the publicity and the advertising and all that. But then I kind of understand that for the music, you know, you kind of gotta like gotta do a bit of that so it's a constant battle but um but yeah for opportunities like this you know like it's definitely a great thing to kind of like get around and i think yeah like it's just the universe that kind of brings people together yeah if it's meant to be it's meant to be i guess yeah actually my first ever gig no not my first ever gig but my second ever gig i got booked was the same way as you by triple j unearthed oh, really? someone just found me randomly oh wow yeah That's i think cool. like if you're like a genuine artist you put yourself out there like people the right people will find you so what? on that note do you have any words you would like to say to like aspiring artists or people getting started in the industry itself 
Oh my god, I hate this question. <laughs> People always oh ask god. me this question. Um, this is something that I heard a lot, and I hated hearing it. But you know what? Like now, I am where I am, and looking back at it, it's true. Things will happen naturally. That's what I have to say. Wow. Unless you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's not meant to be. Sorry, I had to say it. Not everyone's going to be an artist. Oh, my God. <laughs> you got to keep it real. That is very true. On the note of your music, um, so you recently released a single titled El Nido. So do you want to talk to us about that? Just yeah. open question. Of course. So I just released a new song, um, and it's the first single for my debut mixtape coming up. So I've got a debut mixtape that I've been working on for a fat minute. It's called Sorachi Safari as well. <laughs> I'm a bit obsessed with that, but it's a it's a jungle out there. It's a jungle. But yeah, El Nido is a very R&B-ish song. Like, I don't really do R&B. I'm just like a rapper. But I'm not just a rapper, obviously, because I can do R&B. But the whole point of, of the mixtape is to show that I'm very diverse, just like the ecosystem of a jungle. <laughs> <laughs> so I do my... So yeah, it's an R&B track to show I can do it, and that's that. But the song is about me and my girls on a girls' trip in the Philippines, and El Nido is an island in the Philippines, and it was just an amazing night, like, you know, sandy beaches, warm air, skinny dipping with the full moon, and drinks on the beach, that kind of vibe. I'm very curious, where did you get the concept of the jungle for... Because um, you've been using that for the festival, but also for your album as well. Is there, like, a particular reason for that? Okay. A bit of a funny story. I mean, I really do mean it about the diverse ecosystem. Like, because the whole point of a mixtape is like to show it doesn't have to exactly make sense, like an EP or an album. Whereas that's like those are like developed projects. But mixtape is like you can just whack songs on it, right? And like the whole point of it is to show that you can be diverse. So you know, funny story about it is that I used to have really long black hair, and I don't know if you guys know, but I have like a little bit of a TikTok thing going on. But when I cut my hair into a black bob with the fringe. All my followers started calling me Dora the Explorer. Like, damn. <laughs> so then I was like, you know what? I'm not Dora the Explorer. I'm Sarachi on Safari. And at that point in my life, I had moved out of home. Like, I really felt like I had my backpack on exploring the world. And that's like, you know, about my experience and all that type of stuff. So that's where it comes from. Pretty good. I suppose before we wrap up, is there anything you want listeners to look out for for your festival? Either your performances or other artists as well? Mm-hmm. Well, firstly, I'll just plug the basic event details. So Sarachi Safari, Welcome to the Jungle, is going to be happening on the 22nd of April at Brunswick Nursery. If you have any questions, check out at Sarachi Safari on Instagram. So it's going to be from 8pm to 1am. Amazing singers, rappers, DJs, event sponsors. Check out on the Instagram. I might have a little, you know, a giveaway for those who buy tickets and yeah I hope you guys come awesome as like a kind of final question to wrap up where can our listeners find you socials anything Mm. well for me you can find me Sarachi on Spotify on SoundCloud or streaming platforms my socials are at it's Rachi baby for Instagram and TikTok and Twitter Um, for me you can also find me on the major stuff so Apple Music uh, Spotify and my older stuff is on SoundCloud as well um, and my socials are on Instagram at the official Waki, um, and I'm also on TikTok, which I believe is also at the official Waki. But awesome! If you guys want to hear more from Sarachi and Waki, make sure to go check out Sarachi Safari, and also make sure to follow us on Asian Pop Nation across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Thank you. And 
And this is Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Yours by Sai, which is a very gentle and mellow song and honestly totally my vibe. And before that, you guys heard Tripping on Love by Waki. And even more before that, you guys heard El Nido by Sirachi. Now, when the name Scott Pilgrim comes up, for many of us, it's a bit nostalgic. It's a movie that we watched probably in our youth. Uh... But recently, there has been an announcement that they will be getting an anime adaptation on Netflix. And so some of our hosts here have some strong opinions about that. So we'll be discussing it more. So, guys, have you ever felt like it's just you versus the world? (laughs) I hate this. I need JP back. Anyway, um, so... If anyone has been catching uh, up to date with Netflix news, there's been a new anime uh, that they're planning to uh, produce very shortly. Now, obviously, if you guys have been keeping up, uh, you might remember that Netflix did another anime. Um, They did Cyberpunk. So Netflix is coming back with another anime, this time based off Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which is a 2010 Edgar Wright movie. Um, It's got a massive cult following um, and a huge cast that I will be naming. But the reason we bring up the cast is because not only is it an amazing and very stacked cast but it also has all of them coming back for this anime so if you remember the movie you might remember some of the actors like Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, Kieran Culkin, Chris Evans, Anna Kendrick, Brie Larson, Aubrey Plaza and the list goes on and on and on. I think it's quite impressive that Netflix has somehow found a way to bring back the entire cast and we do mean the entire cast um, and Edgar Wright who will be an executive producer for this show is also quite um, excited to have this project being put on Netflix. Um, so I guess my question to everyone is, has anyone actually seen Scott Pilgrim? Do people like it? Uh, what's everyone's thoughts on this? I liked it. Um, I thought it was pretty quirky and it'd be interesting to see it as an anime, but I'm curious as to why they decided to go with Japan as opposed to just an American animation studio because everything else is American, isn't it? Like the cast, the all the story and the artist is Canadian. But yeah, I'm just curious why Japanese. Um, but yeah, I think the appeal of the movie, I feel, for most people was the cartoon-esque um, style. So I'm curious to see if that translates the same way into an actual cartoon. Yes, like, I've also seen that I watched it when I was like 15 or 16. And so I liked it back then because I was 15 or 16. And it was like the only movie I'd seen that was like extremely stylized in that cartoon way. I thought it was the coolest movie ever when I saw it. But yeah, the cast yeah. coming back is all really good. Like it's really crazy to see just how much of the, just how many members of the cast have gone on to become like really like like critically acclaimed or really just successful like actors in their own right. You got like Aubrey Plaza, um, Alison Brie. Uh, who else? Oh, Kieran Culkin, uh, who recently got uh, super popular because of Succession. Like it's, I was so I'm so happy to see him back in this role. Yeah, um, I, I I should preface. I am excited to see what this anime turns out to be like because <laughs> I think um, Scott Pilgrim is a very stylish, very cartoonish um, project, and I think it lends itself to a lot of anime tropes. Um, you know, Edgar Wright comic like he took a lot of panels from the comic book and then pretty much just like verbatim put it on screen um you know with all these massive texts and transitions so um i think it'll translate well to a cartoon medium 
yeah, in saying that, I don't particularly like the movie. I think it's really um, obnoxious. But you can like what you like. <laughs> oh, I also want to say previously when I said Alison Brie, I meant Brie Larson. <laughs> When did you watch it, Ethan? When did you watch uh, Scott Pilgrim the movie? Uh, I think during COVID, like 2020, 21, something like that. What compelled you to watch it? And then at what point did you realize I hated it? It was just on Netflix and it's an Edgar Wright movie. And I feel like if, like, I I have a lot of respect for filmmakers that have a very distinct style. Like, obviously, and we know people like Edgar Wright or Wes Anderson or like, um, like, like people that have very distinct styles. Um. I have a lot of respect for but at the same time I find Edgar Wright's um like style is a little too quirky for me and I also yeah I also don't think his like wacky directing styles justifies its sense of humor like I don't think it's as funny as it wants to be personally like if I wanted to see something super stylized and like well edited and well shot and everything I'd probably watch like a Wes Anderson movie I don't know what 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 does Edgar Wright normally have to say about his movies like (laughs) What like what kind of like themes does he normally talk about? I think he's main, mainly asked about his editing, really. Yeah, that, yeah, I guess so. Because like is, we've had this conversation before, and Xenia told me about how Last Night in Zoho, which is, funnily enough, the movie that I want to watch most from him that I haven't seen yet, um, has like a feminist message into it, but a lot of people don't like it because it's the least Edgar Wright, and like Edgar Wright tried something with some kind of message but I don't know I feel like that would be more interesting to me because it has like something to say as opposed to like look I can edit cool like I feel like even like <laughs> like I compare compare him to Wes Anderson a lot and like I, I feel like Wes Anderson his style is so much more low-key and he has so much more to say about like life and the human experience and like what it means to like live all these small like intimate stories of like anyway <laughs> Ethan have you ever um the Cornetto trilogy I have I have I watched it and I I thought it was fine how old were it's you okay. when you watched it oh like like 15 16 I, well, I did even watch then, it they didn't grip I you I don't like it I like at most I might like Baby Driver but that's more so because the stunts in it were really good um and I, I don't know if baby, I can watch Baby Driver again given how controversial the cast is <laughs> um and Baby Driver isn't really even like a very Edgar Wright movie like I think a lot of that is like in camera stunts like I don't remember there being a lot of transitions <sighs> Scott Pilgrim um, is a work of art you need to be like 15 or 16 or 14 when you first see it preferably or even younger and it like blows your mind you're like whoa a movie can do that you're allowed to do that that's crazy man that's how I felt when I watched it for the first time. what's a movie you like Ethan that's just based on entertainment value it doesn't have a message yeah, it doesn't need to have a message it's like all your the po- all the pop music your life is like inane and meaningless so oh why can't the movies like, also Tracy. be inane and really meaningless let me <laughs> like... see let me let me see let me pull up my letterbox gonna, you guys keep talking i'm gonna find let me pull up my no, that have no like social commentary at all um so tracy do you like wes anderson oh, do you have a preference i really like wes anderson and i really like edgar wright um both of them if you I had like... to choose uh, Edgar Wright's more like comfort food, like, like, like a ramen. And then I think Anderson, Wes Anderson would be more like something like a fancy meal, like a yum cha maybe. Yeah. 
So I go for the ramen more often, but I feel like I would achieve a higher degree of, what's the word? Self-actualization by continuously watching. (laughs) I think my, my, like the the best Wes Anderson movie, which for me is Grand Budapest Hotel, had a much more profound emotional impact on me than the best Edgar Wright movie for me, which is Hot Fuzz. But I really liked Hot Fuzz. I really liked Dawn of the Dead. I think it's because I've grown up a lot with British humour. I watched a lot of British shows, like, not very good. Like, early 2000s, like, British sitcoms growing up. And so the humour that Edgar Wright uh, sort of writes his movies in makes sense to me and is, like, feels, like, natural and, like, and funny to me. It felt very familiar, you know, like it feels it has a very strong sense of place. Like they feel very British and specifically like very like small town British, especially Hot Fuzz. Silly movies about silly people where the main thing is like it's funny and it's kind of cute and there's entertainment value and it's like stylistic and like over dramatic. I think a lot of Edgar Wright's uh, style comes from, make, comes from him being a huge fan of like genre movies, like huge fan of action, huge fan of like horror and applying that to like very mundane scenarios. And I find that very funny. Have you found anything, Ethan? Yeah, Ethan no, is still searching his letterbox <laughs> I mean, I, I for non-profound movies. Like, profound like, movie. like Stephen Chow movies, sure. Mm, oh, Stephen Chow, true. I love mm. Stephen Chow movies, dude. Um, yeah, I don't Wait, know. am I right? Stephen Chow's the one. Is he the one who did Kung Fu Hustle? Kung Fu, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. I mean, Taika yeah. Waititi does good movies as well. His movies are funny, um, but they all have like a melancholy core to them. They're all they like do. really like a boy is like a autobiography basically about like how he doesn't like his relationship with his father, and then like they're all like they have this undercurrent of like deep sadness to them. Like Wes yeah, movies. I, I I think what makes Ty- what makes Taika Waititi movies so smart is that he understands like comedy is such a good vehicle for expressing like negative emotions or like really dark satire. Like when he mm. was defending his Jojo Rabbit movie, which is a probably my favorite movie of his. Like he was talking mm. about how comedy is such a good vehicle for expressing like all these like really horrible things because comedy in itself is like it helps people process things that you can't normally talk about or like you can't normally like emotionally process and I feel like if you're leaning into a like a film genre that is more like stylized and absurdist like you kind of need something to ground it because otherwise it just feels like like I don't don't know it it just feels meaningless like also I, I do think it's because I grew up like in high school with a lot of student short films and anyone who does a student short film that wants to be like somewhat stylized does it in the Edgar Wright style. So I kind of just attribute Edgar Wright movies to student films. (laughs) You can't blame Edgar Wright for that. It's the student. No, you can't, but I will. (laughs) So if you guys are keen on this new Scott Pilgrim versus the world anime, or if you have very strong opinions on Edgar Wright, um, let us know on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. We are back here at Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Period by Imase, and before that, you guys heard Monster by Genie High featuring Yama, and even more before that, you guys heard Seventeen by Yao Sobi. Now, Pixar has recently released a trailer for its new movie coming out, which is called Elemental, and is focused around the elements. Now, little does many of us know, it is also somewhat related to Asian 
culture and Asian customs. So yeah, tune in as we talk about that. Have you ever played Watergirl and Fireboy in your youth and wish they got together? Well, now you can because Pixar's new Elemental movie that is coming up will feature a fire girl and a water boy and uh, they might get together. And apparently this movie is inspired by the director's Korean immigrant story. It seems really cute. Apparently the director Peter Son said this is sort of inspired by his own sort of growing up. Um, he grew up in, I think, a very Korean uh, neighborhood in the United States. And when he grew up, he ended up marrying uh, a woman who wasn't Korean. So I guess it's, it's sort of his own way of exploring like what it means to marry outside of your race. Obviously, as an immigrant, it's often quite... Uh, look down upon within your community to marry outside of your race, some more than others, I guess, uh, which is quite interesting uh, because this movie, the premise of this movie is basically that there are four elements, fire, water, earth, and air. Oh, like the, what's that name of that band? Earth, Wind, uh, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. The whole playlist better be full of their songs, actually. Um, but yeah, you basically have these four like Pokemon types and the idea is that they don't mix, and then a fire and a water Pokemons get together and they end up mixing, and then who knows what happens from there. But it also seems fun because um, they seem to be quite imaginative in how they're animating all these little animations. Like the fact that water can sort of warp into different shapes and like fill up like different garments, and fire can essentially singe through anything. I don't know, there's a lot of potential for just like funny, like physical comedy which is something to look forward to because I think it's something that animation does so well. But what do you guys think about it? No, actually, she brings up a good point because when Pixar first started, I think one of their biggest landmark um, achievements that they did that put them on the map was when they figured out how to do water physics in Finding Nemo. Like that was a big thing for Pixar at the time. Um, and it really put them on the map because they had essentially pioneered making like 3D water that had never been done before so i think being able to take everything they've learned after like what two over two decades and then be like look here's water if they were a person is kind of incredible i mentioned that there was a fan animator by the name of kevin Temer tunes who made like a parody skit of pixar's elemental just like some random parody and it went so viral that people started complaining about how bad it looked, but it wasn't actually Pixar. It was just a fan edit. Um, I thought that was really funny. <laughs> That's how you know it's a successful edit. Like, he should be proud of that. He got more reach than the actual trailer itself, probably. Okay, so I just thought, like, I'm reading the article now, but it's very interesting. He, like, sort of put his own, like, story into the movie where it's, like, the director's... So his grandma's dying words were like to marry a Korean woman. And then in the movie, um, Ember, who's the fire girl, her grandma's dying words for her was also like marry fire. So yeah, that was very cool. That was very uh, cool I... and traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess I just wanted to ask like, I don't know, like, because we're all... Um, Asian and I know my grandparents are like oh you must marry an Asian person I don't know does like everyone sort of have like a similar sort of experience yes but my grandma was specifically like don't marry a white person 
very specifically. What is it about <laughs> white people, though? I they're like, oh, they won't understand you, all that kind of jazz. There's a really great Kumail Nanjiani um, comedy movie called The Big Sick, which I think is quite reminiscent of this. Um, yes, it's about his experience dating someone outside of his culture, um, and kind of like the backlash from his family. From that, I think that's a really good movie that talks about these issues. Um, yeah, just kind of sucks, isn't it? Generational trauma and racism be like that sometimes. Is it because of the stereotypes sort of associated with certain races in Asian communities that yes. perpetuate that? Okay. Probably, yes. yeah. It, it totally is. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's just, it's, it is just racism. <laughs> but yeah. they, to be, yeah, they do that like within the countries as well like within like let's say china they might be like don't marry someone from shanghai because people from this place are so and so like it is like they just prejudice towards everyone <laughs> but from based on your location places, based on your age based on your race based on your oh, location i just yeah. remember my grandma didn't only just say oh don't don't date that people they she was literally like oh you should date someone from this specific region of china <laughs> what makes you compatible with them i don't know because it's the really region that she lives in so she's like mm. oh, of course. if possible you should date someone from this specific region and i'm like okay the chances of that happening in australia are low uh, <laughs> maybe if you meet them it's meant to be i know like in china a lot of people think that like the accents of like people who live really far north like north of beijing north are like really like kind and reassuring and like comforting that sort of accent like it's almost like a folksy accent almost so they might be oh, like please marry someone from the north because they're like they have nice accents or please don't marry someone from the south because my mom is like haka and she's like don't marry haka men because they can't do anything like they're useless like <laughs> she said that to me not, not my dad being a haka man <laughs> from malaysia when you come from a homogenous country people are quite sensitive to like minute perceived differences between like different ethnic groups or different like location if you go to a whole nother country everyone's like you're the same type of people like why are you differentiating yourself like this you're all asians like oh you're from korea that means you're exactly the same as someone from you know malaysia and to us we're like no we're worlds apart <laughs> yeah This is Asian Pop Nation. You guys just heard Iron Blue by Hisuji Bonkaku. And before that, you guys heard Sona Bita no Hanashi by Svondi. And before that, you guys heard Shine by Band Na. Now, coming up next, we will be talking about something in relation to a certain green bird that has been getting a bit of attention recently. You may know them on TikTok for really playing into the meme of the Duolingo bird just hounding you to do your lessons. But recently, they did a little something for April Fools, and they released a video making a parody of Love Island with Love Language. Uh, yeah, and on that topic of um, dating outside of your culture, uh, Duolingo uh, recently did a bit of a parody of love island for april fools and they call it love language and in this uh reality tv show parody uh the people in the house i think it was um they all speak a different language and so communicating is an issue and so that kind of brings up the question of would you date someone or would you 
be attracted to someone that didn't speak your language. So then how do you communicate to each other who you are? With the the language of love, obviously. Yes, and you can speak louder than words. Love transcends all language barriers. Oh gosh. If you've if you've seen The Little Mermaid, it was enough for Prince Eric to fall in love with a mute. Yeah, with Afro Boys, that's true. Exactly. We can base all our love lives based on Little Mermaid. Based on what Ursula said about making a man fall in love with you <laughs> so what, what body language. <laughs> <laughs> is that what she said yeah um yeah in saying that no i feel like language is pretty important yeah I, <laughs> yeah I, I think communicating is pretty important like it's hard enough to like get along and maintain a good relationship with someone when you speak the same <laughs> native language like <laughs> oh. i feel I like like with a lot of like more like couples from like different cultures that I see on the internet for the most part they do speak at least one person speaks the other person's language and then later on they might learn another language or that kind of thing but in general they started off speaking at least the same language to some degree yeah I think also like not really knowing the language um in the country you're living from like and and like being in a relationship with someone who does that results in like a power dynamic that's not very equal which probably doesn't result in like the healthiest relationship because someone sort of holds all the power in terms of like ability to sort of act independently from the other so i think like being able to speak the same language being able to speak the language of the country you're in is like you know people can make it work it's hard to do yeah i think with like language it also comes with like the culture so Mm. for me I think it's important to sort of have the same culture I guess as well um and language I don't know it just like I feel like it's just easier to um connect maybe yeah yeah if you have the same values like yeah exactly yeah definitely or you can relate to the values in some way yeah yeah, that being said, let's talk a bit more. I think it'd be fun. I think we should talk a bit more about this trailer, this Duolingo uh, April Fool's trailer, because it is so good. It's so good. It's a yeah. parody of like all the sort of trashy dating shows, except there's like a random like Duolingo mascot guy running around. And when they don't like do their Duolingo for the day, he pushes them into the pool or <laughs> or does other unspeakable atrocities. It's great. They're fully leaning into it. Yeah, um, if you guys have ever seen the Duolingo TikTok, that is like the whole vibe that they're trying to go for. So what? there's a Duolingo TikTok? It went viral because like they're really playing into like the meme of like the Duolingo bird just hounding you to do your lessons. And so they're like, they're yeah, their mascot them. just goes around creating Always chaos, playing into like the evil doing. And then, like in their videos, in like the comments, there's people being like, "Oh, I'm scared. Um, um, oh, do, do I didn't do like this lesson." And they're, like, and then the 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 account will like reply in like some snarky, almost mean way, and be like, "I'm gonna come get you" or something like that. And I'm like, that's but yeah, that's my impression of like Duolingo and their whole um marketing in that area. So I'm not surprised that like the parody also ended up with with the duolingo bird pushing people into the pool it's so beautiful (laughs) and also the fact that it sort of like makes fun of duolingo because it has like i feel like duolingo often doesn't teach you the most like what's the word requisite vocabulary like sometimes it just it goes straight into like 
complex or niche topics like straight off the bat especially the um the korean course um it goes straight into like formal like tenses and stuff straight off the bat when most courses online or in books don't do that or so i think it's funny that they sort of like in the trailer you have one one of the girls like asking one of the guys something like completely wrong anyway i think it'd be funny like how would you design like a duolingo course for people who try who want to date across languages i can't tell if it was if i'm dreaming or not i remember i saw a meme once on like a reddit or something where this person like founded partner over duolingo because i think yes. there's a function on duolingo now where you can chat with other people to like practice the language and then i think somehow they just started dating um yeah i've heard of something similar it's like these two people connected i think they went to the same uni though they started uh, doing duolingo together and the way they learned was studying french and there's like a flirting section of duolingo so maybe that <laughs> it's pretty good i feel like just by virtue of the internet any app is a dating app so like you know i'm not surprised duolingo linkedin any app is a dating app haven't you seen that thing it's like it's like a very common thing people will say like especially on like reddit or whatever they're just like any apps a dating app um that's so like pickup artist (laughs) (laughs) listen i didn't say that personally okay i just read it somewhere Mm-hmm. You didn't write that into create. An no, initial. I didn't. No, okay. But it would be what? What is any app a dating app? Like, what's the word? Liz LinkedIn. Imagine trying to imagine trying to pick someone up off LinkedIn, being like, "Oh my god!" Oh my god! LinkedIn, don't mention LinkedIn. Experience oh in micro simulation modeling. It's. I'm so very interested in it. Can we please discuss further? Like. <laughs> I don't know. But That's I don't... just networking. <laughs> yeah, networking feels a lot like dating in that you're lying to people kind of to get what you want, uh, kind of. <laughs> oh, do you think that a – I just wanted to ask, did you do you think that like a real-life reality show with this premise would work? Like if they got a bunch of people who all speak different languages and they put them um, in a resort together no. and try to see – no, you don't, think, you don't think that would work in real life. First of all, with like these reality TV shows, I don't know how long they usually run for. Mm. But like, if it's like for like a short period of time, there is, unless they're like really speed learning the language or is it, it's an easy language to learn because there are some languages that are harder to learn for like certain people, they would either get very frustrated of learning the language or they wouldn't learn the language and there'd be no winner at the end. So that's how I predict it would go. Not great, not great. Okay. Um, even with like the normal dating reality shows, it's like people fight all the time. People, I, I never, I don't watch it, but like I, I, I assume that they fight. There's drama. There's all that kind of stuff, and that happens with someone that can speak their language. So like, imagine not being able to communicate at all at the start. So yeah, I feel like unless there's like a rule where it's like you cannot speak English, everyone would just like default to speaking English. Yeah, I think people would just default to, like, gestures and, like, simple English. I mean, people hook up all the time in hostels overseas. Like, I don't think language is a huge barrier to, like, short-term relationships. But long-term relationships aren't obviously, like, going to be formed. But, I mean, what what relationships formed on reality dating shows are long-term relationships, you know? That's true. I think I think it would be interesting. I don't know. I wouldn't watch the show, but I think people who are into that sort of thing might find some sort of interest there. Where is Leisha when you need her? Where is Leisha when we need her? Our resident trashy dating show enthusiast. 
Leisha, we, we, we miss you. If you guys have anything to say about dating outside the culture or the new Pixar movie, or even if the Duolingo bird has been hounding you to do your lessons, let us know on Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You guys are tuned in to Asian Pop Nation on Sin, where you guys just heard Power Spot by Alka Gorilla, which is a very wacky pop act. And before that, you guys heard We The Female by Chai, which is a Japanese all-female band. And even more before that, you guys heard Pow or Play On The World by Cherry Bullet. Now, coming up next, we will be featuring some fresh news from the Philippines. And it's doing a lot of firsts recently, featuring the oldest Vogue cover star. And you guys may know Vanessa Hudges from her role in High School Musical. But she has recently been named the Tourism Ambassador for the Philippines. So we shall be talking more about that. We're all in this together here at Asian Pop Nation on Sin. And I'm bringing up the classic line from High School Musical because in Filipino news, Vanessa Hudgens, who's probably most famous for playing Gabriella in High School Musical trilogy, has been labelled a global tourism ambassador for the Philippines. I grew up watching her in High School Musical, and I think in primary school, in year six, I played Gabriella in High School Musical play we did, so very close to my heart. But something that's kind of interesting is that Vanessa Hudgens hadn't been to the Philippines prior to receiving the award to be ambassador. I think the reason why she's been labeled ambassador is she's doing a little documentary series about getting in touch with her roots because I believe her mother is Filipino and they're planning to do just a little series with her, her mom and her sister as they go around the Philippines. And just thought it'd be interesting to ask whether you think there is a good ambassador for Australia or even for the Asians in the room, an ambassador you think would suit your country to promote tourism in the region? And do you even think this kind of like strategy works? Uh, where to start? Uh, firstly, I thought it was really interesting how you said Vanessa Hudgens has never been to the Philippines. I'm not sure if her parents, if her mum was, I don't know, like seventh generation Filipino or is she like... I'm not too sure. I'll have a look, but I think she probably migrated. I feel like in Australia, a lot of most of the immigrant kids, like you, you go back to the motherland, like at least once before you're, how old Vanessa Hudgens is? Yeah, before you're 34, you usually go back to the motherland a few times. So that's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I guess she is quite distanced from it. Maybe that means like she can like be a more relatable person for Americans to relate to. I don't know. I think obviously there's a lot of value in having a familiar face um, promote something to you. But if the promotion method is via TV ads that no one will see, then I don't know how effective that promotion method it will be. But, you know, it sounds cute, you know, getting in touch with your roots again, getting connected with a culture that you're not really super immersed in growing up. I think that can only be a good thing. Also, I had no idea that she was Filipino. <laughs> like, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if she would have been actively hiding it or if, you know how there's some actors or actresses where they could probably pass off as being mm. a different ethnicity and makes it a bit easier um, yeah. to get around in the industry. Especially her name, her last name is Hudgens. Yeah, yeah. I think because her father is, I believe, American. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a lot of artists who people don't really know are like part Asian, like Charlie XEX is part Indian. And she's actually <laughs> Charlie XEX. In silent shock. You didn't know? Yeah, she's I part did Indian. not know that. Um, who else? Jade from Little Mix is like Egyptian, half Egyptian, but she like didn't disclose her ethnicity for a long time because she felt really disconnected from it. And it was only recently that she talked about it in depth in an interview. So I think a lot of people growing up don't have the fortune to be connected to their own heritage and culture, which is sad. Um, Zenia, you also had that question about like who would be a good ambassador for your country, like your motherland country. Yeah, I have no clue. I have no clue. <laughs> Even to for Australia. Australia. Great Perez, <laughs> Filipino. <laughs> uh, who, who would be, Vietnam would be Andy True. <laughs> You do know that if they if they're considering going down like Australian tourism, Rose would be a massive like contender, right? Oh like, my god. She is like <laughs> probably the most famous Australian for like our generation. Yeah, even guys who know nothing about K-pop want to support Blackpink because they want to support quote unquote Australian artists. That's totally the reason why they support Blackpink. But also in other Filipino news, I'm not sure if anyone's interested in Vogue. The latest feature on their cover was, or at least in the Vogue Philippines cover, was Apple Wang Odd. If you've been around on the internet and you come across those like fun fact videos, you probably would have seen her around before. Um, she's an Indigenous tattoo artist in the Philippines who I think is 103 years old, making her the oldest person on Vogue's front cover. And yeah, she is famous because she's a traditional Kalinga tattooist. So the kind of tattoo style she does is the hand-tapping batok technique. So typically only male members of the tribe that she is from practiced it, but she became the first woman to do so at the age of 15. So what, like 75 plus years ago. And yeah, because of her story, it really blew up on the internet and quite a few tourists have come on down to her tribe to get one of her tattoos. But at this point, at her age, they can only get like... I think three dots is just like her signature. Um, but the style of tattooing is, yeah, it's traditional. So they all have different representations like bamboo stick or just like elements of nature. I also read in this article that it seems like the pigment they use is coal. Like yeah. the black pigment, it's coal and like a thorn. And that's that's so metal. It would hurt a lot. <laughs> oh my God. But, but yeah, this woman is really cool. Yeah, she looks like badass. She's like fully tatted up. <laughs> she's like standing like this. So cool. I love her. Yeah, and I think she's been training the next generation. So hopefully the tradition might continue even after she passes. And yeah, it's interesting because I feel in Asia, it's getting more common now, but it's definitely not popular to have tattoos for sure. So maybe things will change, but I suppose things already are. Yeah. Isn't the whole tattoo thing because of like, it's seen as like a, uh, either as a gang thing or as like a oh, Western influence on the pure youth sort of thing. Yeah, on your like sacred body. But I guess it's always been there. Like Asians have been tattooing themselves for a long time. It's not something that's imported like from the West. So I guess this is a good reminder of that. Yeah, because her tribe culture. is quite remote. It's only within mm. her region. Yeah. Would you go and get a tattoo? 
Um, isn't that painful? Cause <laughs> like, like compared know. to just getting a normal tattoo, modern tattoo. Yeah. And you're only getting three dots and she's using a thorn. I don't know. It would be a cool experience, but I am not very good at pain. So probably not. You can get more complex ones, but yeah, it wouldn't be her that's doing it. It'd be her apprentices. But if you are interested in going to the Philippines, either as an ambassador from Australia or to get a tattoo from Apawang Odd, um, let us know. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Asian Pop Nation. And keep on listening to find out whether Ethan has found a movie that <laughs> he likes purely for entertainment. Now he's shaking his head. The quest continues. Thank you.